You're listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Cedarvale First Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry at First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarvale, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarvale, Kansas, 67024. Isaiah chapter 9. If you've got, the, got your Bible, go over there to Isaiah chapter 9. Uh, that's where we'll, we'll be for por- part of the morning. Uh, but keep your fingers warmed up because we are going to go to a couple of different places in the text today. And so I, I want to, but what, that's the main portion of where we're going to be today is Isaiah chapter 9. And I, I, I've titled this, as you can see, we're, we're in the throes of Advent and Christmas. And I want to talk about the King is coming this morning. I, I, I want to talk about the King is coming. Um, now I know I said Isaiah chapter 9, but in Luke chapter 21... Uh, the scripture tells us here that men's hearts will fail them with fear because of what's coming upon them. The text tells us, it says, and they will see the sun and the moon. I'm sorry, they will see the son of man coming in the clouds with great glory. And verse 26 says, people fainting with fear and with foreboding of what is coming on the world. Then verse 28 says, now, when these things begin to take place, straighten up and raise your head because your redemption is drawing near. Now, when I read the text in Luke chapter uh, 21, I I get excited because you say, well, Caleb, why do you get excited about the idea of people fainting with fear? Because, listen... I, I know that the kind of stuff that's happening in the world right now is causing a lot of us as human beings to have fear in our hearts. And there's, there's a lot of reasons to be afraid. Amen? There's a lot of things that we can see going on around us that there's reasons to be afraid. You don't have to go any further than, to, than the news to see that the world is a mess. And when you look at this, you see chaos and carnage raging throughout the world. But here's the thing. So, Caleb, it's happening all the time. Well, if you go back a couple of thousand years, you'll see that there was very similar things going on. There was this fear in the air. Isaiah chapter 8 foretells of the Assyrian invasion into Jerusalem. And verse 21 says, they will pass through, Isaiah chapter 8 verse 21 says, they will pass through the land greatly distressed and hungry. And when they are hungry, they will be enraged and they will speak contemptuously about their king and their God. And they'll turn their faces upwards and they will look to the earth, but behold distress and darkness and gloom of anguish. And they will be thrust into thick darkness. Now you say, Caleb, How in the world does this happen? Why is it that there's carnage and chaos now, but there's also carnage and chaos back then? What, what, why? Well, because there was, there is sin that's in the midst of all of us, because sin has fractured, has destroyed all of creation. This is why we have so many problems. Why we have so many issues in the world in which we live. But here's the, here's the thing. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. There was a time and a place 
In the beginning of all this, when God set this up, when God created the world, all of creation, all of the universe was in perfect rhythm with God. And so what I want to do this morning is I want to take us back for just a few minutes and look in Genesis chapter 2. I know I said Isaiah chapter 9, and I've read out of a couple different places, but I want us to go to Genesis chapter 2, and I want us to see how God sets up and how God set up the world in which we live in presently pre-sin, before sin entered the equation. So Genesis chapter 2, I'm going to actually start in verse 8. I'm going to skip around and go to a couple different places. But I want us to see what creation looked like before sin entered the equation. Genesis chapter 2 verse 8 says, And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden in the east. And there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord made to spring up every tree that is pleasant for sight and for good food. The tree of life was in the midst of the garden, and the tree of the knowledge of good and evil was there as well. And there was a river that flowed out of Eden in the water of the garden, and it was divided into four different rivers. The names of the first was Pishon, it was the one that flowed around the whole land of Havalah, where there is gold. And the gold of that land was good. Bedalium and onyx stone was there. The name of the second river was Gion, and the one that flowed around the whole land of Cush. And the name of that third river was Tigris, which flowed around Assyria. And the fourth was Euphrates. And the Lord took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to work it and to keep it. And the Lord commanded the man saying, You shall surely eat of every tree of the garden, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you will surely die. Then the Lord said, It is not good that the man should be alone, and I will make for him a helper that's fit for him. Now out of the ground the Lord formed every beast of the field and every bird of the heavens, and brought them to the man to see what he would call them. And whatever the man called every living creature, that was the name of it. And the man gave names to all the livestock and all the birds of the heavens and every beast of the field. But for Adam there was not found a helper fit for him. So the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on the man. And while he slept, he took one of the ribs out and closed up the place with flesh. And, the, and that rib the Lord God had taken from the man, he made into it a woman. And brought her to the man. And here he comes. He's going to, the man, this is the first recorded R&B singer. First, first poetry. He sees the woman for the first time and he says, This at last is bone. I can say, it's bone on my bone. Woo! Flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman. Because she was taken out of man. Therefore man will leave his father and his mother will hold fast or cleave to his wife and they became one flesh and the man and the man and his wife were both naked and were unashamed now this is before sin 
This is pre-sin. This is before the fall. This is before the fracturing of all this. God set up the world the way it was supposed to be. It was perfect, without blemish. Everything worked as it was supposed to work. Relationships were perfect. There was no arguments between or bitter fights between husbands and wives, children and their parents. They didn't, there, was no, there was no such thing as problems like this. Everything worked as it was supposed to be. The animal kingdom was in harmony. The, the lion was not trying to rip the lamb apart. There was no death and carnage. Everything was at peace. Everything worked as it was supposed to work. And, and the picture that's given to us in Genesis chapter 2 is that of peace and tranquility and perfection. A world at peace in all aspects. Not just in creation, but in relationships. And in, in the relationships between human beings and animals. That's in Genesis 2. But then you get Genesis one chapter later. Genesis 3. Satan and sin enter the picture in Genesis. We'll start there in verse 1 of chapter 3. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field. For the Lord God, that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, this is the serpent speaking to the woman. This is still in my mind. It just boggles my mind. If a snake or a serpent came and was like, hey, listen, Caleb, can we have a talk about this tree? I'm going to lose my mind. I'm going to be like, wait a minute. Why are you talking? Why are you speaking? But she doesn't do that. He says to the woman, now this is what Satan does to people. Even in 2021, this is what he does to you. Did God actually say this? Did God actually say, you shall not eat of the tree of the Garden of Eden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden. But God said, you shall not eat of the fruit of the tree that is in the midst of the garden. Neither shall you touch it. Now, I just want to preface this. God never told Adam and Eve they couldn't touch it. He just said, don't eat it. The day you eat is the day you die. She adds to God's word. That's what a lot of people do in the world today is we add to God's word something that's not necessary. She added to what God had already told her and it wasn't necessary. So she says, we can't eat of it, neither shall we touch it. And then the, serp then the serpent said to the woman, you may eat of the fruit of the tree. I, I apologize. Um... I apologize, I was on wrong verse there. Verse 4. I was back in 3 for some reason. I, I got mixed up. That's what I'm, I'm getting to the point where I think I'm going to need glasses soon. Is that a problem? Is that, does that happen? I don't know. Verse 4. But the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die. So number one, Satan said, Listen, number one, sowed the seed of doubt. He said, Did God really say that? And then he comes back in with the second hook and says, listen, God lied to you. God lied to you. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that the day you eat, your eyes will be opened and you will be like a God, knowing good from evil. So the lie has been sown. The, the doubt has been spread. Listen, you don't really... You can't really trust God. That's the thing that's happening in the world today is that Satan sows the seed of doubts in your mind and says, listen, I know 
that you've got God's word, but he didn't really mean that. He didn't really mean you were supposed to do this or do that. You could do whatever you want. I know that God said that there's just, he made man and woman in the beginning, male and female, but listen, we can have 14,372 genders because God's a liar. That's what, the, that's what the enemy is doing today. The enemy is lying to us and trying to convince us. And he convinced Adam and Eve here, verse 6. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, and it was a delight to the eyes, and that the tree was the desired, it was desired to make one wise, she took the fruit and she ate it and then gave it to her husband. He didn't, he, listen, Adam had every right, every authoritative structure to say, get out. But he didn't. He was quiet and passive as most men are and said, okay, all right. All right. I'll eat it. And the moment they eat it, the text says in verse 7, then their eyes were opened and they saw that they were naked and that they, they sewed fig leaves together because or to make themselves loincloths. Remember at the end of verse or chapter 2, they were naked and what? Unashamed. Love that verse. But now sin enters the picture. Their eyes are open to sinfulness. Now they see each other as naked and now there's shame involved. They were naked and unashamed in the, in the beginning of this. Sin enters the equation and now they're naked and they're ashamed and they've got to clothe themselves. That's the reason we still to this day wear clothes is because one of the biggest fears we have is being caught with no clothes. If you think someone's coming in your house and you don't have the appropriate amount of clothes on, how many of y'all just stick around and be like, I'm here? Nobody does that. When you hear the doorbell ring and you've got nothing a lot on, you're running, you're ducking, you're grabbing towels. Why? Because there's shame there. Because sin has entered the equation. The devil deceived and perverted everything that God has made. God created human beings. God created sex. God created food. God created all these beautiful things as gifts for us. And what the enemy has done is he has taken these gifts and he's perverted these gifts and turned them upside down and they completely no longer are built around trying to glorify God but to make you happy. Like, like what is... God designed and gave sex to, to husbands and wives as a gift. And now what's happened is we've turned it into, we've, we've been given this gift of sex and the enemy's turned it upside down and turned it into immorality. And the Bible has more to say about sexual immorality than a lot of other things. Because that's what human beings, one of the biggest, slimiest things that the enemy does is he perverts this and distorts it and causes men and women to stumble and fall into immorality and it causes a whirlwind of problems in humans' lives when that happens. God gave us food as a gift. And what's the enemy done? He's turned food from a gift into gluttony. And we've got just a massive amount of problems there. God's Satan has taken everything that God has given human beings and he's turned it in to be a form of worship for ourselves rather than to be in awe of what the Creator has done for us. So, the devil deceives Adam and Eve, and now as a result of Adam and Eve being deceived, 
All of creation has been plunged into darkness because of what they did. So you ask the question in Isaiah chapter 8 when they're talking about being thrust into darkness and there's carnage and there's all these problems. And then you look around in 2021 and you see all the problems in 2021 and you say, why is this happening, Caleb? Because Adam and Eve plunged us into darkness because they disobeyed God. They disobeyed God. Creation is a mess. Relationships are a mess. Marriages are a mess. Parent-child relationships are a mess. Friendships are a mess. Because you've got two human beings in a relationship that are sinful. You put two human beings under a roof together that have their own desires, own things that they want to do, and they have sinful natures. And they're going to... Ask my wife. It happens. First fight we ever had was about towels. She bought these towels. One's tan, one's green. And by golly, we got to have them folded so that the little stripe is there. And we want to have them color-coordinated. Green, tan, green, tan. Oh, by the way, it, no one sees it because it's in a cabinet with the door shut. I decided I'm going to be the man of the hour. I'm going to fold towels. I fold them. And I'm thinking, oh, I folded towels, baby. Come look! I folded towels! She opens up, she's like, sweetheart, bless you. Bless your little heart. It's not done right. It needs to be green, tan, green, tan with the band. So I put my hand behind it and I shove them on the ground and said, fold them yourself! And walk off. That went well. That went really well at my house. What ha- why? Because she had a thought, she had a desire, I had a thought, I had a desire. It didn't match. And then on top of that, throw little human beings that have sinful natures in. Woohoo! It's a party! You put little human beings in that have nothing but me, 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 my, my, my. Two o'clock in the morning, they don't care that you're asleep. Wake up. I'm hungry! I'm messy. Change me. And until you do it, I'm going to scream. All right. And then you're exhausted, and you get, so they got that fight. And then as they get older, those human beings have their own desires. And then sometimes those desires don't meet up with mom and dad's desires. And you're like, oh yeah? Let's fight about it. I hate you. No, I hate you. Ah! And it's just like this huge, gigantic fight. Why? Because sin is in the midst of all of this. Everything that God created is now twisted and perverted by the enemy. You, you see, the enemy... We're in the midst of a time when the enemy is just in the middle of just chaos and upending everything. And the enemy has bruised humanity. The enemy has bruised the heel of humanity. He knew, like listen, he will bruise bruise the enemy now, or the enemy will bruise the heel of humanity. How do we know this? Genesis 3.15, look at this. Well, actually, we'll start in... Oh, the Lord said to the serpent, because remember, they start the blame game. When Jesus comes, God comes into the garden and calls Adam, Adam, where are you? And he's like, listen, I hid myself because I was naked. And God says, well, who told you you were naked? That woman! It's her fault. And then the woman's like, well, no, 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 not me. It was the serpent's fault. And so we have this trickle-down problem in the, in the text here where there's all these issues. Blame it. I blame you. You blame me. Everybody's pointing fingers. Nobody takes responsibility and says, hey, listen, it was my fault. 
We all say it's every, but do we do that today? If we get, well, you know, it's not really my fault. If my brother hadn't pushed me, I wouldn't have punched him. If my wife had not griped at me about the towels, I wouldn't have thrown them on the floor. Like we, we, point our, we point fingers. And so God begins to have this conversation with the serpent. And he says, because you have done this, cursed are you above all livestock and above all the beasts of the field. And on, the, on your belly you shall go the rest of your days. The dust you shall eat. Verse 15, and I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and her offspring. He shall bruise your head and you shall bruise his heel. Now listen, at that moment when Satan had deceived Adam and Eve, the heel of humanity has been bruised. We've been bruised in our humanity. And it's like, it's a difficult, when your heel has been bruised, when you've had a foot problem, it's hard to walk sometimes. It's hard to stay going. Because when, a, when your foot hurts, it's difficult to keep walking. Amen? Anybody ever had a foot problem and you're just like, you know what, I can just... I can keep going? No, you when you're... Everybody, anybody get up if you had a heel bruise or a heel trying to walk? It's difficult to walk. Humanity is... It's difficult for us to move forward sometimes because we've been bruised. We've been bruised. You see, the enemy bruised us because he knew he could not take on God himself. He had to take on a weaker contender. And he bruised mankind because he knew he could wound God's heart by wounding what God loved. Like, listen, I know I can't take Darren out. Darren's bigger than me. Man, he just is. So I can't wound him. But if I hurt one of his little girls, guess what? His heart's going to be hurt. I'm going to be a dead man, but he's, he's also going to have a hurt heart. I know I can't fight Darren, but man, I can probably fight one of his girls. You see where I'm going with this? This is what Satan did. Satan knew that he couldn't take on God, but he took on a weaker contender, the daughter of God. See? He took on the weaker contender. And the, the heel of humanity has been bruised because of what Satan did. And I could just see the devil walking tall thinking, I've done it. I have completely messed this up. Oh, I feel good. Walking tall. But then God introduces a sacrificial system. Hebrews 9.22 says, Indeed, under the law, almost everything is purified by blood. And without the shedding of blood, there is no remission or forgiveness of sins. So God creates this sacrificial system. And all through the Old Testament, you see the blood of lambs and goats being offered on an altar to sacrifice for the atonement of sins. And then all of a sudden, this thing happens in Luke. Where this, this angel shows up to the Virgin Mary and says, you're going to be pregnant with baby Jesus. You're going to call his name Jesus, Emmanuel, God with us. So at that moment, Jesus walks into the timeline of humanity, is birthed into humanity, and is given legal right to take back the title deed to earth that, that Adam had forfeited to Satan. Jesus was born so he could buy back humanity, so he could buy back the title deed to earth because God had given Adam legal right to the earth. He had the title deed and he had every right to give it away. That's the reason when Satan was tempting Jesus and said, listen, 
took him up on a high mountain and said, listen, all of this, all of this is yours if you just worship me. Like, how did he have the right to that? Because Adam gave him the title deed to the, to the earth. And so Jesus comes back as a human being and he, what? Buys back the title, takes back the title deed to earth. He did what Adam couldn't do. He was the perfect Adam. He was the perfect man. And at that moment, all of hell shudders in fear. Because they know what's about to like, Wait a minute, Jesus is here? Uh-uh. So he enters it, gets Herod involved, the king of the day, and tens of thousands of babies, maybe even hundreds of thousands of babies, under the age of two, and two years old and below, are slaughtered. Why? Because the enemy doesn't care how many humans he has to kill. He wants to try to take out God. He knows that if Jesus lives, then I'm in trouble. He knows, the tr- he, knows what, he knows who God is. He knows what's going on. And he says, man, this is no good. So all of hell shudders in fear because of what Jesus is doing. But all of creation rejoices because the creator, the God of the universe has come back to make things right. God has come back to set things right. And listen, the enemy might have bruised our heels, but in walked a Savior that was in a devil-crushing, head-crushing mode. Amen? That's glory to God. And Isaiah, we get this picture in Isaiah of how this unfolds. Go with me now. We're going to go over to Isaiah chapter 9, and I want you to see in the text this this is where the, the handles Messiah. This is where all this came from. Was Isaiah chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 2. The people who walked in darkness. Now remember in chapter 8. At the end of chapter 8 it talked about they were walking in darkness. There was chaos. There was problems. There was issues. Verse 2 says the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in the land of deep darkness on them Has light shined. You have multiplied the nations. You have increased its joy. They rejoice before you. As with the joy at the harvest. As they are glad when they divide the spoils. For the yoke of his burden. And the staff of his shoulder. And the rod on his oppressor. You have broken as on the day of Midian. For every boot of the trampling warriors in the battle of Tumlet and every gauntlet or garment rolled in blood will be burned as fuel for the fire for a child is born and a son is given the government shall be upon his shoulders and his name shall be called wonderful counselor mighty God the everlasting father the prince of peace of his increase of his government there of peace there will be no end so there's coming a day Christ came into the world the first time to redeem and to reconcile mankind and what was the problem in the day in which they lived they were looking for the warrior king they were seeing Isaiah and they were like listen the day when all these garments are rolled in blood we're going to burn these things all the, all, everything's going to be set right they were thinking Jesus is going to come and be the conquering king but no there's a, he had to buy back the title to earth first. He had to redeem mankind back to himself first. And so 
Jesus, when he enters the equation, he changes everything. This is the reason Joy to the World was written. Joy to the World is actually not a Christmas song. It's a song that's actually written about when Christ sets the earth right. Joy to the world. Because why? The child that was born, he's now a savior and the government will be upon his shoulders and they will be called the Wonderful Counselor, the Mighty God, the Everlasting Father and the Prince of Peace. And of the increase of his government and of his peace, there will be no end. On the throne of David and over his kingdom to establish it and to uphold it with justice and with righteousness from this time forth and forevermore, the zeal of the Lord of hosts will do this. Christ is king. And he came back and he said, listen, Satan has no claim here any longer. When Jesus enters the equation, he changes everything. He became the perfect sacrifice for the human race. The heel of humanity has been bruised, but Christ came back and he bought back the title deed to earth and he crushes the head of Satan. Jesus buys back everything. He swoops in at just the right time. And one word, he ends Satan's ability to do anything. This is the promise of Jesus. This is the hope of Christmas. Now, it's important that Christ came the first time. Because if Christ didn't come the first time, he couldn't come the second time. Jesus is coming. Next week we're going to talk about that. Jesus is coming. This time is not, this time that he comes, the next time he comes, he's not coming as a meek and mild baby. That's how a lot of people look at Jesus right now. Oh, the meek and mild, precious baby Jesus. I'm going to tell you right now, when Jesus comes back here, there will be nothing meek, there will be nothing mild about Christ. He will be the warrior king that will mow through anyone who stands in his way. He is the conquering king. He comes as this king that will have dominion over every ounce of every part of the universe. There will be no rogue molecules doing what they want in some part of the universe. Everything will be lined up the way it's supposed to be because Jesus will set everything right. And guys, I know that the world is dark and crazy and every week seems to be weirder and weirder stuff. But I can promise you, as Luke says at the end of in verse 21, it says, what? When you start to see these things, when you start to see these things, straighten up. Get straighten up and keep your eyes open. Keep your eyes to heaven. Your redemption is drawing near. Jesus is coming and he's made a promise to us in John chapter 14 that he is coming. And he says, in my father's house, there are many rooms. If it were not so, I wouldn't have told you these things. I've gone away to prepare a place for you. And he starts the verse by saying, let not your heart be troubled. So that's, that's the anthem for this season. Don't let your heart be troubled at the world. Well, what, Caleb, what if the economy falls? It probably will. But I can promise you this. The dollar is not going to be the thing that holds heaven up. We're not going to be worried about the price of oil in eternity. We're walking on pavement that's gold. The gold is pavement. The thing that we cherish the most in this world is pavement to God. It's asphalt to God. Whew. 
says, don't let your hearts be troubled. Don't be alarmed. Be aware, but don't be alarmed. Stay alert. The Bible tells us to stay alert, but we aren't to be alert. And, oh gosh, Caleb. Is it that bad? Is it really? Oh. Terrified the whole time. We're not supposed to be like that. Scripture says, let not your heart be troubled. Believe in God. Believe also in me. I go to my father's house to prepare a place. In my father's house, there are many, many, many rooms. He's preparing a place for those that have believed and follow him. And listen, when he comes back, he's coming for those that have believed and followed him. So, well, Caleb, he might not come for another thousand, ten thousand, three hundred thousand years. Okay, you die. If Christ doesn't return, you still die and you still stand before him. In the bleak of eternity, 90 years is not that long. I blinked and I'm 43. My dad blinked and he's 73. Anybody else? You blinked and you're, you're, you're older and how did I get here? Well, Elite is 27. I don't know how she got there. But this is, this is the hope of Christmas. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Why do we celebrate this stuff? Oh, Caleb, I just can't wait to get the new Xbox. I just can't wait to get a PlayStation 5. I just, who cares about that stuff? Why, is, why do we do this? Before we open one gift at my house, I open the scriptures and I read out Luke chapter 2 and we talk about why we give gifts. Why do we give gifts? Because Jesus was the ultimate gift. Jesus came and he is the ultimate gift. He gave himself in a sacrificial way to buy us back, to redeem us back from our sinful, fallen nature. So because Christ gave the ultimate gift of who he is in the manger and then ultimately on the cross, so we give gifts in remembrance of that. But ultimately, this thing, this holiday that you and I are in, this Advent season that we're in, it's all about Jesus setting things right. Jesus came into the world, and the scripture tells us that a child, for unto us a child is born, and a son is given. And the government shall be upon his shoulders. Thank God. Anybody else tired of government? <laughs> There's coming a day when the ACLU, the Republican and Democratic Party, we don't have to check in with them. Because Christ will be on the throne and he, his, the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be the one who makes the final authority. I don't have to go to anybody else. He doesn't have to go to anybody else. He's the king. And we worship the king. And so this morning, as we, as we end this, I, I just want us to take time just to reflect on who God is. And just to thank him for his grace. Thank him for his mercy. For who he is and what he's done. You've been listening to a sermon from Pastor Caleb Gordon of First Baptist Church of Cedarville, Kansas. We pray this message encourages and blesses you this week. If you'd like to join us to worship in person, we meet every Sunday at 11 a.m. at 418 Monroe Street in Cedarville, Kansas. We would love to see you. Find out more about us online at our Facebook page, facebook.com slash Baptist. If these messages bless you in any way, please consider giving to help support the ministry of First Baptist Church. Our mailing address is First Baptist Church, Cedarville, Kansas, P.O. Box 456, Cedarville, Kansas, 
67024. God bless you.